So for everyone who's joining right now, this is episode four of Filmmakers Uncut, and we're really excited to have Jared Christopher online today to kind of tell us a little bit about his journey in the cinematography world. Um, just like every one of our shows, if you guys are joining on any of the platforms, you guys can leave us a question, especially if you're joining through Instagram. You can use the comments down below. There's a little question mark to, to leave us a question. And typically near the end of our uh, stream here, we're going to try to answer as many of those questions as we can. Um, yeah, so to get started, Jared, we would love to hear a little bio about yourself if you could tell everybody who might be you know seeing you learning about you for the first time a little bit about your experience who you are and you know your, what you do sure yeah you know i had an unconventional route to filmmaking i was actually a aerospace engineer for five years uh was married had a young child at home and was really just unhappy with my career i i, I remember one day specifically sitting in my little cubicle and watching a guy who had just turned 65, he was packing up his office, putting all of his stuff in his box, you know, taking his pictures down and he was retiring. And this is going to be his last day. And I watched him walk out the door with his family. They had a little party for him. And, and that was the end, you know, that was the end of his career as a, as a, as an engineer. And I was sitting in my cubicle watching it happen, thinking, I don't want that to be me. You know, that's not, that wasn't, I wasn't born to be an engineer. I was doing it to support my family. I was doing it because like most of us, we have parents who, you know, put these things into our minds and say, Hey, you know, we want you to be successful, go to school, get your degree, be able to support your family. Um, being a filmmaker is kind of outside the realm of possibility for most people, right? And in your mind, you think, how do you do that? There's no clear path to that. So I always had that dream, but I put it out of my mind and did the practical thing. Like nobody in my family works in the entertainment industry. So how could, it's kind of like that thing that you tell kids or you hear teachers talk about, like you have to be able to see it to be it, you know? So a kid, thinking that they can be something without seeing a real route or a possibility. It's a hard thing. So oh, for sure. I remember watching that happen that day and thinking, you know what, this, that I have a chance right now to make a choice. I can break from this, this tradition and this situation I was in as an engineer, which is a great, it was a great job, but it wasn't what I wanted to do for the rest of my life. Or I could, you know, just kind of bite the bullet and sacrifice and do it for my family and be that guy that walks out carrying this little box at 65 years old. And I remember talking to my wife and saying, listen, I know we have a great situation right now. A good job. We have a young child at home. Um, I don't want to do this for the rest of my life. Would you support me if I tried to pursue my dream being a filmmaker if I quit this job and and, you know, I promise you I'll hustle and do everything that I can in my power to to make it a reality. And to her credit, you know, she said, yes, she said, I will 100 percent support you. So without without wow. that support, you know, I would never have even entertained it. So um, I had an opportunity to work for a local newspaper, which was which helped that transition it was for a lot less money than I was making. But at that point, I knew, you know, I needed I needed some stable income and some way to create. So I got on with this local newspaper 
and I was shooting stills, I was writing stories, I was doing everything that they would allow me to do, basically covering high school sports. Anybody can, can get a job covering high school sports, just about. And um, so I did that for a number of years, had an opportunity in 2000, I guess it would be nine or 10, to go full time with this newspaper. And they had a video journalist position open. In the meantime, I had been doing all kinds of, you know, as you guys probably understand, you've been shooting weddings, you're shooting anything you can do to make money, shooting weddings, shooting music videos, unpaid gigs. You know, I was shooting dental yeah. conferences, whatever I needed to shoot to make money. Um, yeah. In the meantime, building my credibility at this newspaper. And this is around the time when, uh, you know, the internet speeds were such that newspapers could start putting video online and people could consume them either, you know, through the phone or, or their laptop. And I remember um, kind of the light bulb going off thinking, okay, this is my opportunity. I've built credibility. I've spent several years at this newspaper building relationships. I've been working on my craft on the side, doing these weddings and these conferences and these little commercials for, you know, local businesses. I'm going to present something to the newspaper that could help me further my career. And so I took an idea to them. I said, why don't we do something like ESPN's doing, you know, with these 30 for 30s, but locally here with some of these high school athletes. And they thought about it and they said, oh, that's interesting. Like, what do you mean? Press conferences, like filming press conferences and stuff. And I said, no, no, I'm talking about like legitimate short documentaries that you could put out on our website. We already have this audience of subscribers mm -hmm. why don't we yeah, serve video content and right. so they said well hey try it you know go shoot one and we'll see what happens so that was my my ticket and i knew if i could turn out something really quality that i knew i was capable of because i've been honing my talent and my skill set that it would work so i did i found an interesting story i went and shot at high school kid you know top recruit just kind of the typical tropes of the high school sports story you know top recruit in the country, gets hurt and loses his scholarship. So I, I did this little five minute piece on him and we put it on the website. And lo and behold, kids did what kids do. They watched it and they shared it and they tweeted it and they Instagrammed it to each other. And it did huge numbers. I mean, it did more numbers than any video they'd ever put up on their site, which up to that point was typically like the, the mayor giving a press conference or something like that. And so they said, oh, wow. Uh, a new revenue stream for the newspaper. And so that, that continued to lead to more stories like that. And over the course of, I guess, four years, I probably did a thousand videos like that. And, and that's not, that's not an inflated number. That's, that's realistic. And I'm talking about turning in those stories every couple of days. And so you can imagine over the course of those thousand shorts, me honing my skills, I'm running my own sound, you know, I'm shooting for myself, I'm editing, I'm doing all of it, producing my own stuff. Um, I'd really started to sharpen my skills. I started to get good. I started to do those, you know, get my thousand hours that you hear Malcolm Gladwell talk about, right? And that led to the best, the biggest opportunity of my life up to that point, which was the newspaper business continuing to nosedive like it obviously continues to do today. And the newspaper that I worked for coming to me and saying, we need you to create something for us 
that can generate meaningful revenue because we're about to lay people off. What can we do? And they asked everybody in the newsroom, what could we do? Create some products for us to sell where we could create some meaningful revenue. And so I said, okay, I've got these, all these videos I've created for you, but they're all one-offs. They're all just, you know, little vignettes. What if we did a doc series? A true doc series and we tried to sell it we took it out and saw it just like a media company we are a media company and uh they said you go do it just go do it so i did what i had been doing and practicing all those years i went to a couple of high schools and i said let's do a doc series where i follow your team for the entire football season and this is texas right it's like friday night lights texas fo football is king I knew we had the audience. All of my videos were getting all the traction, so I knew this would work. I just needed, as any documentary filmmaker will tell you, access is the key to everything. So I needed a school to give me the access. And I found a school that gave me the access. And I did. I embedded with them for an entire season. I put out weekly 10-minute episodes while shooting. So keep in mind, I've got kids at home and a wife. I'm not making as much as I was as an engineer, but I had put in all that time and that work and I could see things were building in the right direction. I knew this was the opportunity that everything was leading towards. So I released that show, 20 episodes. It won several Emmys. It, um, it won multiple journalism awards. Nobody was doing anything like that at the time in the world of journalism. And that's not what I set out to do. I didn't set out to win any of those awards or, or break ground. You know, I just said I wanted to be a filmmaker. And so I was going to use every path that I had available to me to get to get there. If I had to create one, I was going to make one, you know. So because of the success of that show, uh, Facebook Watch, I don't know if you know about Facebook Watch, that was their effort to, you know, launch their own streaming video category to compete with Netflix and YouTubes of the world. Uh, they picked it up and it ran on Facebook Watch. It did something like uh, it, 60 million views, I think, 60 million individual streams. I mean, it got crazy traction. And that did what it should do. It opened more doors. And that's what we're trying to do, right, as, as creators, is each project should build upon the last and it should move us a little further down that path to where we're trying to go. You can't, everybody's got a great idea. I tell people that all the time, but what, what work have you done so that when you have that great idea, somebody's going to give you that green light and say, yes, I will finance your project. Yes, I will support you. I will distribute your project. An idea is just an idea. Where is the work history that shows you can do it? So I had that with this series. It's called Titletown, Texas, and it's now on Amazon Prime. You can watch it there. Um, and suddenly people started knocking and calling, saying, hey, what's this show? I mean, we it's everywhere. We're seeing it, you know, people are sharing it, friends and family. I'm talking about like producers from the West Coast are calling, saying, what else you got? You got anything else that we could help you develop? And so uh, I did, you know, of course I have ideas. We have, like I said, ideas are cheap. I got lots of them. And so I started throwing my ideas out there to all these producers. This is what I'd do next if I had the opportunity. And um, at a certain point, based on my work history, you know, I had done this, this in the, lived in the world of high school sports for so long that I had built some real credibility there. Um, I found a particular 
version of that high school football story that I had not seen before. And if you watch shows like Friday Night Lights or you watch um, All, All American on Netflix, there's, there's a lot of shows that deal in the high school football world. But this particular story uh, was focused on a team in West Texas in a town that had 676 people in it. So it was a tiny dot on the map. But they had won the last two state championships in the very lowest classification of high school football in Texas. So they may have had 10 or 12 kids on their roster. And they played a different version of football called six man, which is six men on the field instead of 11. And so I knew that was an interesting enough concept to create a show around based on my work history and everything I had done. So I was able to put together a pitch deck and a sizzle on, based on this story and start shopping that around to some of these producers that reached out to me. And, you know, I got a lot of no's, of course, that's the way this business works. And actually I got, I got no's for an entire football season. So I missed an entire football season. Once the season's over, there's no story to tell, right? But I believed so much in the project and I believed so much in that story as far as it being unique and having its own voice that I stuck with it while I kept shooting dental conferences and I kept shooting weddings and I kept shooting commercials and short documentaries. And at this point I had left the, the newspaper because of these other opportunities that started coming up. And I just kept believing in that story, but I kept pushing it out there to my new connections. I would make, you know, I would shoot a short doc for, for instance, I shot one for, um, Gizmodo on a guy who um, lives in an iron lung. He was a polio survivor from the 60s. And he quite literally has to spend 24, 23 of the 24 hours a day inside an iron lung that breathes for him. So I shot that project. That one went viral. I think it got, it might have gotten 32 million views on YouTube, something crazy. And that led to a connection. And somebody else that had watched Titletown um, that worked for a little website called Max Preps, which is a high school stats website where all the high school coaches can upload all their players' stats for the season. Somebody there watched Titletown and they reached out in an email. So I'm getting emails from different people I've never met, but it's not, it's not based on anything other than my work, right? And that's the thing that I tell people a lot. You're, you, you're pitching yourself, you're pitching your ideas, and, but it always goes back to the work. What have you done? What can you show? And so I'm getting these people reaching out to me based on my work. So now I start to reach back out to them with my new projects and say, you liked this. Well, now I have this. So I continued to push this six man football story out to each new connection that I would make. And this, this one guy that I was mentioning at max preps, he watched my sizzle. He watched, he looked at my deck and he said, you know, I really loved Titletown and I, I like what you have here, but our platform isn't really right for this type of content. Would you mind if I send this to my friends at CBS? Of course, you know, oh, of course. <laughs> send it. So within a couple of months of that conversation, I was signing a contract with CBS to finance a proper doc series which premiered last november um, on cbs all access and they just greenlit a season two so that's a very long-winded intro to to my story but that 
I just want people to understand from the from the outset that if you if you're really really passionate about something, you don't need to listen to the motivational speeches and and have people pump you up and, and get you fired up to go chase that thing. It's got to be it's got to mean that much to you that you can spend a decade pursuing it relentlessly while you're shooting the weddings and while you're shooting the dental conferences, you know, and I've got three kids now, you know, and when I started this journey, I had one and one and another on the way. Um, and that's how long it takes, you know, unless you're just incredibly gifted. There are those people out there, there are geniuses out there that are going to make it, you know, pretty quickly. You see that happen. Like, uh, guys like, uh, Paul Thomas Anderson at 24, 25, you know, however old he was when he made Heart Eight. Um, those are rare. That's why you hear about those stories because they're outliers. Is that my connection? Can y'all hear that? No, we can hear you 100%. Yeah, I just wanted to say I'm so glad you actually took the long route to your introduction because I'm sure there's many people who, you know, wanted to hear that full story there's there's not really a lot of chances for us to hear it from you the way that you told it and i loved how your story you know it, it has so many golden nuggets right like the struggle of giving up a stable job as an engineer to pursue to pursue filmmaking like you know that is probably the biggest fear for a lot of people like you know what should I take pursue filmmaking and it sounds like please correct me if i'm wrong but you didn't decide to go the school route you just you know, wanted to jump into it. You reached out to your connections, tried to make a name for yourself, and it took years for you to get where you got. I think that is such a key ingredient that people constantly forget because I'm sure you know, as a creator, it's really easy to get down on yourself. You know, like we're constantly judging our work. We're constantly judging our progress as a company, as an individual, as a freelancer. Um, and at the end of the day, you know, it's all about being consistent and persistent. And I think your story um, is such like a great testimony of what being persistent um, can achieve. Yeah. So what a great story, seriously. Yeah, 100% agree. And I feel like the point where you gave off through that story is you had a lot of patience through it, right? And what you believed in the whole time you were going after. Um, and it didn't matter how long it took, but eventually you knew you were going to get there because you knew you had such a good story. Right. So I think that's super duper important. Uh, I think that was a great story. Yeah. yeah a, lot of times, a lot of times I'll just add this. A lot of times people think, you know, that there's a secret or a hack, you know, to success. And there's not. Like I said, you anytime you hear one of those stories that somebody, you know, from out of nowhere sells a screenplay for a million dollars or makes a film, it gets into Sundance, they've never done anything before, and then the next thing you know, they got a three-picture deal at MGM. There, there's a reason why you hear about those, and it's because these people hit the lottery. It don't happen like For that. Sure. You know, you have no. to put in the work. That's the only way. That's the only way I know. 100%. Do you think we can touch upon uh, some more of the like the struggles that you were going through, you know, like I know you, you, you mentioned it a part of your story, but I would really like to, to understand a little bit more about your thought process during some of those times. So for example, um, you know, early in your career working for the local newspaper, you know, what were some of the struggles you had internally? Were you like self doubting yourself? Were you really not sure of what you were going to do next? And how did you handle those 
those problems because I know, especially with COVID going on, there's a lot of filmmakers who might have recently left their career and then COVID happens and now they're stuck in this rut, you know. In that mindset, how did you get yourself out of that negative thought process? Yeah, you know, I've always been lucky in the sense that I, I do, my wife and I complement each other really well. Like she's very detail oriented. You know, she actually helps me with, with my business. She'll, she'll set schedules and she'll remind me of when I have certain things like this. She has to tell me today, don't forget you got this call. Um, and I'm a big picture person. And so I've always got this perception that, you know, I'm always down in, in the dirt doing the, doing the work. But then I'm always able to pull back and see the bigger picture. And I think that's very important as an artist and as a creator to try to see the bigger picture of what you're doing. You have to have meaning behind, you know, each project that you're passionate about. Well, going back to the work, though, you got to do the work as well. So it's to me, I never I never turned anything down. Uh, and you'll hear people say, oh, you got to get to a point where you turn work down. You know, you've got to double your rate so that you don't get as many requests. Uh, there's some truth there, but until you get to that place to where you're getting more yeses than no's when it comes to your project, I would suggest not turning much down because you never know. It's not really about the work. You're going to learn a little bit on each project and you should definitely do it for those reasons, but you're going to make connections with people. But also mm -hmm. what you're doing is you're living. And that is where the meaning and the understanding of your work comes from, is living and being out in, in, uh, in, in public with people and learning the, how to build relationships quickly. One of the things that journalism taught me, you know, they'd throw me out to a, a story, that, a breaking news story that happened, and I'd have to grab my gear and run down and shoot it. Here's a great example. A uh, young man was murdered. Um, I had to interview his father in his apartment just hours after his murder. And this is a, a man from Argentina who spoke broken English. I don't speak Spanish. I don't speak, speak Portuguese. You know, I don't speak his language. And I had an interpreter with me, but I had to very quickly try to build some rapport so that I could get to the truth of that story and get, get him to speak about his son in the way that I knew uh, people could connect to in our story. So on the fly, you know, I'm thinking, what can I say to this guy? You know, and so I start telling him about my son and we start to have a real dialogue about sons and fatherhood. And, and this broken man in front of me is weeping because he's lost his son. But he knows that I care because I understand what it means to be a father. Right. But see, the, that was, that story was over with after that day for me it wasn't over with for him. But my point is, I went on to the next story the next day. But doing that over and over and over. That story is not my personal story. It was just a job that day, right? But those little things like that, what they taught me was how to be able to relate to people, how to be a human being. Because when you're a documentary filmmaker, that is what you are. You have to be, what you're witnessing when you watch a documentary is you're watching the relationship with the filmmaker and the subject that's in front of the camera develop over time. And it's all about that trust that you're developing. So if you're getting very deep moments with characters in front of the camera, very revealing moments as you're watching a documentary and you're thinking to yourself, wow, that is a profound moment. There's a reason that that was captured is because of the trust that was being built between filmmaker and subject. And so I say all that to say, 
absolutely there were times in my career that I thought, my gosh, I've you know, been doing this for four or five years. Here I am chasing another daily story. But I always had that perspective where I can pull back and see the bigger picture and realize, well, I'm honing skills that I didn't have before. And that's, that's the important thing I think that you have to remember is that you have to have a lot of different tools in your tool belt as a filmmaker. And it's not always this, the things that you learn about how to, you know, operate your camera or the sound. It's about how to, how to connect with people. 100%, yeah. If you really think about it, it's like almost all the things that you went through happened so you could become a better documentary filmmaker. You know, a lot of people forget that, you know, all your experiences tend to tally up to the result of, of where you are now. The harder you work, the more hours you put in, you know, it just makes sense that you're going to get a bigger reward and looking at the big picture, like people tend to forget that. But 100%, like you were able to see the benefits of what you were doing, even in times of struggle, and eventually it paid off. Yeah, I think it's really, really cool. Um, we do have some questions. Sorry, go ahead. I'll just add, it's helpful, and, and <laughs> I'll say this is a cheat and a hack. It's not one that you want <laughs> that you want to uh, to implement unless it, it comes um, as a byproduct of your relationship or whatever is supposed to happen. But when you have kids, that places a whole nother level of emotional um, understanding that you didn't have before. It's just it's just how it is. You hear people say, "Yo, you never quite understand love until you have a child," or you know, all those, all those things seem a little far-fetched. But when it happens to you, suddenly that does something to you. And as a, to be specific about it, when my son was born, he, like I said, my wife was pregnant with my daughter. Whenever uh, I made this decision to leave engineering, uh, I remember thinking. If I work really hard as an engineer, I can give them a good life. And I can tell them to chase their own dreams and pursue the things that they're, they're passionate about. But if I sacrificed my dreams so that they can pursue theirs, will they ever wonder if their dreams are actually within their reach? If I, if I, did, if I didn't chase my own, you know? So I thought, well, what kind of father do I want to be? Do I want to be the type that goes after those things that he's passionate about and leads by example or just leads with my words, you know, and it goes back to that idea of if you see it, you can believe it. Right. Well, my kids have watched me do this. They watched me struggle. They watched me go through all the years of, you know, of no success. And they've watched dad show on TV now, too. And so they see it is possible. Dad did it. I can do it. You know, at least that's the way I make sense of it in my mind. So by cheat code, I mean that kids give you an extra uh, push if you want to be a great parent, I think, right? 100%. Exactly. And the point of leading with example as well, which is exactly what you're doing. Um, we had a question for you. What's one of the uh, things you wish you had known at the beginning of your career? Maybe uh, that it would work out. <laughs> but maybe I wouldn't have worked as hard. I don't know. Um, because you do, you do second guess yourself. It's just human nature, especially when you're creating art, you know, of any kind. You're trying to reveal a part of who you are that's very private in a lot of ways, you know. Like your work is very revealing. Um, you know, you hear a lot of times artists 
the, all of their work, if you really look at it, um, hits on the same themes constantly, and they may not even be aware of it. And mine probably does that to a degree too. It's really about family. It's really about, um, you know, legacy and fathers and, and their, and their children and family dynamics. And like, as an example, my show on CBS is obviously about football, but deeper than that, it's really not about football. It could be badminton. It doesn't matter what, what it is. It could be, you know, anything could be an art class, could be a race car driver. It could be a guy that, you know, has a, has a business that he's trying to get off the ground, but really it's about the, the connectedness of the family and the relationships. Um, so yeah, you know, I think I don't even remember the question at this point, but the fact, <laughs> the fact <laughs> is for, for, for me, I've always, I've always gone back to why, why do I do what I do? You know, every, every project that I, cause it takes a tremendous amount of work and effort to get a project off the ground. So you have to have a real strong why it means something to you. If you don't, you're not going to be able to see it through because it's just too challenging. It's just too difficult to get these things done. No, I think, I think, even though you said you forgot the question, I think it does make sense. Like the question was, you know, what's something you wish you knew in the beginning? And I think that reason is, or that answer is, you know, to use a why. You know, if I knew in the beginning to, to have a stronger why, it would have created more powerful content or would have been more passionate about, you know, developing relationship with the people yeah. that you were speaking with. I think that's uh, that's a really good point. And I'll, and I'll add to that. Um, like I said, I didn't turn many things down. And one thing to keep in mind when you do that is you don't have to have a why for somebody else's work, you know, that you're doing but have a why that you, something you can take away from it and add a tool to your tool belt. And even if it's not a technical thing, like I was saying earlier, it's about the relationships you're developing. So always try to have something you take away from each project, but for your personal stuff, um, early on, I remember always thinking, Oh, that would be a great idea. That's an interesting idea. That's a project that I could do. Right. And, I, and you probably have a notepad or something, you have an idea and you, you jot something down. That's a cool story. That would be a great story. But start to think about it in terms of what, what do you have to do? Not what you want to do, what you have to do. And those are the projects that I promise you, you'll see through to the end. You know, my, this one that just aired on CBS is three years, um, you know, and that's really not that long. Um, relative to a lot of the people that, that I've uh, come into contact with. Some of them have had projects they've been trying to get done for a decade. But you, ha you have to find some, some theme or some reason why you have to tell a story um, to stick with it long enough to see it through. Right. Could you give us, like, an example of, of like, your one? Like you said, uh, you know, you, yeah. you, you have to have a reason. Could you give well, us an I'll give example? You, I'll give you an example of this particular project. Um, you know, like I said, it was unique. That wasn't enough, though. I mean, there's a lot of unique stories. I knew it was unique enough to have a, to start a conversation with studio execs and people like that because you have the framework of Texas high school football and you have a unique twist on it being that it's six man in this really tiny town. That was enough mm -hmm. to get a conversation started. But what, what made it unique enough for me to live with it for three years, to live in that town for five months, to shoot 500 hours of footage? You know, what made it unique? So 
I had spent a few days out in the town and I had gone around and met all the kids that were part of this football team. And I started realizing this trend in this town that there was so many kids that were, that came from single parent, single parent homes or single family homes. And this head coach that was taking me around town and introducing me to these kids started to realize he was not, not, um, in the way that most coaches are a, an, an uncle or a father figure. Uh, he pretty literally was a father to a lot of these kids. He was, you know, paying to keep lights on from time to time and making sure people were fed. Mm -hmm. Like it went way beyond what co a coach represents. And so then I started to ask him, this is just in my early discoveries of the town before I had really committed to doing the story. Um, that he, he didn't have any kids of his own. And I started to see something very interesting forming in front of me, which was that he had this desire that I think we all have to be needed by somebody. And these kids were all being fulfilled in a way that their desire that we have as kids is to be wanted by somebody. And they had this great symbiotic relationship that they weren't even aware of. It was just happening. And my years of sharpening my instincts as a journalist, I could see that pretty quickly. And then I knew I had something that, that meant something to me. I said, this is an example of, of how to live your life. You know, this is a way that you can make a greater impact in society, the way this head coach was uh, taking on his role. And so that was the story, you know. And then I knew I had something that I could sink my teeth into and spend three years pushing up a hill if I had to. If it was just football, there's a lot of interesting football stories. As a matter of fact, uh, when I initially started to look for a football story to start pitching, I put a tweet out and I said, hey, um, you know, I'm the guy that did Titletown, Texas. Why don't you, uh, you know, if you have an interesting football story, send me a DM. I got over 2,000 DMs from all over the country. People, oh, you we're going to win the state championship this year. Oh, we got a kid that's going to Notre Dame. You know, it's all the same story. It's like they had the high, the biggest recruit. They didn't have any funding. They were trying to overcome this or that, you know, or be the first team to win this district championship. It's all the same. And so when I went out to the small town and discovered that story, that's what I mean. I could have taken any of those other stories and said, oh, that's interesting. I could do that. Which one do I have to tell? Which one do I feel when I go home, I'm thinking about it at night. And so that's what I mean. You have to have something that really matters beyond just it's an interesting idea. Because, you know, keep in, keep in mind, this is an eight-part documentary series, 500 hours of footage. You know, it took an entire year to edit the eight episodes. I mean, you're spending an immense amount of time. And if you have a family, you're spending time away from them while you're working on this. So it better matter to you, you know. Don't look at it as just a cool job. Look at it as something that you just have to do. Mm -hmm. Now, that's, that's a great explanation. I think for anybody really listening to, to all of this, first of all, Jared, you're an incredible speaker. I feel like if you had the chance, you had the time, you got to start your own podcast because you got a lot of stuff to say and just the way you, you say it is just incredible. Um, but back to the point I was trying to say is that for anybody also pursuing documentary, uh, you know, style of work. I mean, this is the mind in going into the mindset of somebody who's been doing this for for ten plus years and who has you know credible um, experiences and, and incredible results. So you know, if anyone is pursuing this field, I mean, 
mean, I feel like Jared hit the nail on the head by saying that you should be looking for a story that is that is not just surface level, you know? Forget about the headline. What's the story underneath? How does it move you as a content creator? And then how can you, uh, you know, take that story and move people? I mean, such a, a way of explaining it. I think that's uh, just such a, a elegant way of explaining your mindset on, on filmmaking. Um, we we had some more questions that we wanted to kind of go through. And if you don't mind, I know we've talked a lot about like emotional stuff. I think we'd I'd love to also get into the technicality side sure. of your career as well. I know a lot of people would probably want to figure out, you know, when you go to a shoot, you know, what's your, what's your setup? Like, what do you typically do on a regular day? Do you have it all planned out in your head or do you just have a person you want to talk to and then everything kind of comes naturally? How, how does your average day on a documentary work? Yeah, you know, uh, I make verite docs. So that means that I'm living alongside the people that I'm filming. So there's never a plan. I'm simply there to follow. So whatever's happening that day, I'm along for the ride. Um, you know, as, as I've said with this particular story, there's a whole team of characters that I'm following and I'm trying to figure out which ones are telling the story. You know, there's many stories going on. So I have to find which, which two or three characters I can tell this one central theme through. So, um, you know, for the course of several weeks, sometimes months, you start to kind of fine tune those characters. And once you find those characters, you're simply there with them. You're living alongside them. So you ask, I'll get, how, you know, what's a typical day like? Well, you know, it's generally sun up to sundown when you're filming. You don't want to waste an opportunity if you're going to be out in the field. So, you know, I shot this on a C300 Mark II, a Canon. And, um, you know, it's got the two XLR inputs, so you get, you get your shotgun running, but then you can have a lav on somebody, uh, whoever your main character is constantly. And I always try to mic people up first thing as soon as I get there, and then they'll forget about that mic in 10 minutes. But I've got it on them for the rest of the day. And maybe I might have to change batteries, but I try to get buy really good batteries, rechargeable batteries that, you know, can last the full length of the day. And, uh, and so I'm just following. And... You know, I'm always in communication with them. Like I said, I, I'm not a fly. I hate that that saying, a fly on the wall. I hate that because it's so ridiculous. If you're if you're in a room with somebody with a C300 and you're new, you know, you you've been there a month, they know you're there. You know, of course they know you're there. It's not they're not pretending you're not there. You haven't disappeared into the background. And I don't want people to feel that when I'm filming something. I want them to feel that intimacy and that relationship because that's the way real life works. You know, like we're having a conversation right now. If you were having a conversation to each other and nobody knew I was watching you guys, it would feel weird. It's like a surveillance camera, you know. So I always try to make myself, I don't in, in, um, interject into their lives. I don't get in between, but, but I'm there. And you might from time to time hear me ask them a question. You know, off camera, my voice will come in from time to time. You break that third wall. That's fine because that's real life. And that's what I'm trying to capture. So, you know, um, as with relationships, as they develop, you learn people's patterns. And I start to learn people's uh, little idiosyncrasies. And, okay, this is about the time whenever they typically wake up in the morning, for instance. So I'm going to be at their house ready to get that shot of them coming out of their house and getting in their truck and driving to school. You know, so you try to capture all that in real time. You don't want to stage these things in documentary. Um, you know, if I had a second camera, I would send the second shooter with another kid for that day. And we would, 
be in constant communication with all of them. We would ask them, what are you doing this weekend? And they would say, oh, we're going to go to a party or we're going to go to my uncle's house that I haven't seen in a while. Well, can we tag along? Yeah, come on. And so, you know, that's and that's the way it works. And you obviously accumulate a ton of footage over the course of this, you know, four-month shoot. But what that does is that starts slowly to lessen the, the effect of that camera being around them. You know, a lot of times we go shoot stuff that we knew wasn't going to make it in the show just so that we could use that as another opportunity to have a camera around them. You know, they, they were constantly going to school functions that weren't really that interesting for the show. But we would be there and the town would see the cameras. And, and over time, we became a part of that fabric of the town, which is why we were able to get, if somebody ends up watching the show, you guys watching, the final episode is very emotional and revealing. And you have to you have to ask yourself, like, wow, why did they allow these cameras that kind of access? And it's because of all that time we put in with them over the, the, the four months before. Yeah, allowing them to be themselves, basically. Yeah, that's very interesting. I had a question about, like, how many hours are you shooting per day? How many hours are you with them per day to be able to capture those special moments? It depends on what's going on. A lot of times, we're not even rolling. A lot of times, we're just there, you know? We're just there building right. those relationships. You know, they, all the kids, for instance, uh, might go to a restaurant to eat. And we've already filmed this, you know, like there's one restaurant in this little town. We've already shot it two or three times. Like how, how many times do you want to see that? But we'd go anyway and we'd sit there and, you know, be a part of the atmosphere just to continue to build that trust because we're trying to get to that place that we're able to get to, as you see later on in the series, where there's some really emotional, vulnerable moments where there's no reason for anybody to allow a camera to. If I was, if it was my first or second week there, or if I was just the type of filmmaker that would say, okay, meet me at your house at five. We're going to do a sit-down interview, and then we'll go shoot some B-roll. These moments that I'm referring to, if you watch the series, would never have been captured. They would have shut the door and said, you know, let us handle this moment, this very intimate moment, and then come back. But they didn't. They knew we were going to be there. And so there's a particular moment midway through the series where the team um, – comes into some conflict. Some of the guys get in trouble on the team uh, for some things that were done off the field. And the coach has an all hands on deck meeting. The whole team uh, sits down. It's very emotional. There's tears and there's two cameras in the room right in everybody's face the whole time. And it's because we've been there for two months up until that point, spending every day with them. So they didn't even think to ask us not to film. We were filming every day. So I would say, you know, certain days we may film two or three hours but we may be there eight to 12 hours. Other days we'd film eight to 12 hours, especially on a game day. It's sun up to sundown and, uh, you know, just capturing all the activity, which is how you end up with 500 hours of footage. Right, that's super interesting. I think it's like super important that I feel like even when you're in a job you're superly passionate about, there's sometimes those times where uh, you get bored or you're like, you question your yourself right in your own ethics do you have moments like that uh when you're just sitting there doing nothing and then you're getting either bored um and you're like you know what's going on type stuff is that does that happen to you as well absolutely yeah as a matter of fact i have a you know a, like i said everybody's got lots of ideas you know and so i'm always fine-tuning my other ideas and my projects and my downtime uh but over the course of doing this for the last 
decade, you know, yeah, I've had those moments where I'm sitting on set and I'm bored. You know, life is boring a lot of times. You know, what you're seeing in the documentary is a, a curated version of life. And so, yeah, all this extra stuff that gets cut away is largely boring. So um, I've had, I don't know if you're familiar with the filmmaker, Kelly Reichardt. Uh, she did First Cow that came out last year, and she's done uh, Wendy and Lucy and Old Joy. And there's a couple other filmmakers, the Darden brothers. They, they have um, a particular style to their filmmaking. Um, social realism is what people like to call it. And it's kind of a blend of the documentary scripted narrative. And I've been working on a screenplay that I'm going to shoot that way, hopefully later this fall, that lives in that world of documentary and instigations. And so, yeah, I mean, I'm sitting on a documentary set and it's boring and I'd love to be able to tell somebody, hey, go over there and do this or turn right instead of left. The sun looks better, you know, and you can't do that in documentary. But in this in this blended world of documentary and scripted that I'm that I'm going to uh, hopefully set this project and I'll be able to do that. The idea is to cast real people to play versions of themselves and to put them in situations that are normal situations and then instigate and you know if you need to throw in uh, a line here or there to have them say something it's okay because it's a, it's a scripted you know hybrid so but that's come out of all these hours on set you know exciting stuff make sure to uh you know send send the link over to us so we can promote it for you when it when it releases yeah, yeah. Um, one thing i wanted to ask you is you know while you're filming and everything are you like editing in your head that's always something that like we have a lot of conversations with dp and directors like especially when it comes to documentary like you know you're filming all this all all this content and do you develop the story while you're seeing it you're like oh this connects to you know two hours ago when you know jared said this thing and then oh that also can relate to something we shot like three weeks ago or do you sit down in front of your computer, you're compiling all of this footage and organizing it and, and you're like connecting the dots? Like how does your process work to creating a narrative? That, that must be extremely difficult. Yeah, you know, it's there's a lot of intention behind that for sure. It's not left to chance. You don't find it in the edit, not whenever you're doing a project of this scope, you know. Mm -hmm. um, you, but in the initial stages, yeah, you cast a wide net and you remain open to you know everything you go in with your ideas of course you want to always be prepared with what you think the story could be but never with the certainty because that's the surprise is what you want the audience to feel too you want that surprise you don't you know people go into texas six thinking oh this is another friday night lights and two or three episodes in they realize whoa this isn't about that at all and so that's what you're hoping for but that discovery that you're on as a filmmaker that's what is so exciting to me as a documentary filmmaker is that discovery so i don't want to rob myself of that by being certain about anything i think that that is uh that's probably the worst thing you can do is be certain but always go in with intention though and so what i do i have you know this is for a for a series i have a big cork board with you know three by five note cards and I start off with characters and I just write down characters' names as they start to present themselves as I'm filming. And then little scenes, just scenes. For instance, I had a scene um, where I was filming with the quarterback of the team last year. And he said to me, he said, you know, everybody thinks I'm a, I'm a wuss. They think that I'm weak, you know, and I want to prove them wrong. 
And then he goes downstairs and I'm following him down. We have this whole conversation. He goes down. I'm thinking about that line though in my head, like you're the quarterback of the team. You're supposed to lead this town to the state championship. And then you're telling me that your own teammates think you're a wuss. And so I'm thinking about that. And he goes downstairs and he's getting ready for school and he, he combs his hair. He's got a, like a part on the side and then he gets him a little glass of milk, you know, before, before school. And he looks like a little boy, you know, just like a little, a little kid. And he is, but he's an 18 year old. And I remember thinking, like, those images that I just captured of him, you know, parting his hair like his mom might do when he was eight years old and having his glass of milk is the exact imagery that fits with what he just said upstairs. And then the next day I interview another kid on the team. This is a great, um, this became my open for the documentary. This kid is the tough linebacker, the strong kid on the team. Everybody thinks he's the hero of the team. He's getting he, same same process. I'm just following all day. Get there early. He's getting ready for school. And I ask him about the kid that told me that he feels like everybody thinks he's a wuss. And here's the tough kid. And so I'm using what I heard yesterday in this conversation today to build on because I know that's a powerful moment. But now I'm asking the strong kid about the weak kid. And he says, yeah, you know, people do pick on him. I told him one time, I, the kid's name was Blaze, the weak kid. He said, I told him, Blaze, don't, don't worry about what other people think. You be you. And I thought, wow, that's so powerful. Now I have the, the big tough kid who's kind of protecting the kid who's being bullied from the other kids. Then this kid goes to get ready. And he's, he's getting his, he's got long hair. It's flipping out the back of his hat. He's cool, you know, and he, he goes and hops in his, his truck and, and drives off and, and as the sun is rising. And I'm thinking that imagery tells so much about what they just revealed to me. You know, this here, this kid's full of confidence. You know, he's kind of cocky. He's got his hair flipping out the back of his hat, but he's got a tenderness about him that he can protect the kid that's being bullied. And so Within two days, I had created my open for the show. But my point in, in saying all this, you see, I'm, I'm constantly thinking about what I've already captured and how I can use that in situations and ask and instigate through questions. So when you're filming, you want to remain open and aware, but you are informed in a way that nobody else is as a documentary filmmaker because you're asking questions of people that nobody else is asking. Nobody's asking that, that young man you know, his fears and his vulnerabilities. Who asks you that on a daily basis? Nobody does. But as a documentary filmmaker, that's your job. So you're able to use those things in your future shoots. So always be mindful of what you've already got. And don't just think about from an editing perspective, a technical perspective, but use that in, in your conversations with your subjects. I just wanted to quickly touch upon uh, something that you said that I'm actually really interested in learning about but I'm curious to know if you you know as your team being a part of this community did you see like a change in the the behavior or you know what was going on in that in that can be a part of it and as you mentioned like instigating these relationships and you know discovering these connections between people did you find that being a part of their world for the four five six months that you were there actually changed their lives like it, like, like personally, like deep down and within them, like change from being a part of them. I know that um, my goal is to is to never allow what I do 
to impact them in that way, either positively or negatively, because I'm simply there trying to capture who they are. So I would say, I hope not in that regard. But what happens is when the project comes out and it, and it has a life of its own and an audience starts to watch it, and the audience starts to become attached to these, these people and they start to see similarities in their own stories. And uh, so, for instance, Blaze, the kid that, that I mentioned, the, the quarterback who was kind of humble and, and, and innocent, um, he badly needed some braces. And, you know, that was never touched on in the show. We just filmed and we did our job and we told his story as honestly as we could. But some, some couple from Ohio who watched the show on CBS were so touched by his personal story that they reached out and offered to pay for a new set of braces for him, something that he'd never had um, the opportunity for. And so he, today, Blaze has a full set of braces fully paid for by some audience member. It, without us being able to tell that story, you know, that now that does change his life in a very literal way. But our goal while we're there is to try to capture their life, not to in, interfere with it in any way. And the way that we, that I think we do that, if, you you guys shoot, you, you know how it is. When you bring a camera around people, initially they are going to act a little different. They're going to be aware of it. It's in the room. It's different. They're going to look at it. and going to spike the camera. You know, it's time though. You just keep showing up. You just keep showing up and you keep filming. And over time, you don't disappear, but the camera does. So your relationship becomes very real. It's kind of one-sided because you're the one asking and asking and asking. And they're giving and giving of themselves. So it's a weird relationship. And then at the end you leave and, and it's odd. It is a very, it's kind of like a breakup, you know, but <laughs> the goal is to always try to allow them their space and to not give so much of yourself that it gets in the way of their own story because it's, you're serving their story. 100%. Okay. No, that answer my question and very interesting point too amazing um i think any questions that we did have originally you pretty much answered like through um just speaking about yourself so i think that's very amazing um we did have a few questions from the audience before we do wrap up here um i think this is a very interesting one here is it advisable to one project repeatedly till i perfect it or try different projects till i get it I guess it depends on the project. I mean, if it's just, you know, I, I would imagine if you're, if it's scripted or documentary, I'm not sure, but if it's a short project that you can do repeatedly until you feel like it's a great project, then I would say, yeah, do it until you feel comfortable putting it out into the world. But I wouldn't get so caught up unless it's a very important project. In other words, something that to do with your family or something that you're leaving behind as a legacy. You know, like for instance, if I was going to create something about my grandfather who I have the utmost respect for, I would do that and work on that and tweak that until I felt it was perfect. Uh, if it's just a stepping stone to the next thing, you need to move on from it because nothing's going to be perfect. You're going to look back at your stuff and you're going to hate it no matter how good you are, no matter how many times you've done similar work, you're going to find the flaws in it. But that's because you have the context of what's around. When, you, when you've done a project, you know what you had to cut away and what you've had to throw warp stabilizer on, you know, and all the flaws are visible to you. So you have to kind of divorce yourself from that and move on to the next one so you can continue to grow. Right. 
Amazing, amazing. Well, I think we're about to wrap it up here on our end. Jared, did you have any um, promotions you want to put out there? Where can people find you if they want to hear or learn more about you? Uh, where can they go to find you? Yeah, you can find me on Instagram. And uh, obviously, you know, I might, if you drop me a DM, I might be able to help you from time to time and steer you in the right direction. Check out Texas Six, obviously, on CBS All Access, which is, uh, I think, in March, it's going to be converted to Paramount Plus. And they greenlit season two of Texas Six. So later this fall, we'll have a season two, same town, same team, different kids. And uh, got, a, got a bunch of other projects in the works. But yeah, I would say go find me on, on uh, Instagram and watch Texas Six. Give it a watch. I think you'll enjoy it. Amazing. For people listening to the podcast, what is your Instagram they can find? you under yeah it's my first name jared j-a-r-e-d and then my middle initial which is the letter l and then the period and then my last name christopher jared l and then a period christopher amazing amazing awesome my dude i we got so much value out of this i think me and danny both learned a like superb amount of stuff from you um one of the most interesting things i feel like i've learned is um, being able to tell a story, you're very good at storytelling. And I feel like you've very honed into that skill um, throughout your years, which makes complete sense why you are in the position you are today. Um, and yeah, we just want to thank you for hopping on here. We really appreciate your time. And we hope to have you on later on as well to see how you're doing in season two. Once season two is finished, um, we hope to have you on here as well. We really, really thank you for hopping on. Um, and yeah, do you have any closing statements before you head out? No, I just appreciate you guys reaching out. And hey, good luck with the channel. I hope you continue to grow and holler anytime. I'm happy to talk, talk shop. Amazing. Amazing. Thank you, Jared. We appreciate it. Awesome. Awesome. Have a good day. We'll talk to you soon. All right, man. Um, amazing. Guys, if you're still on here, um, we just want to promote our next guest for the podcast. Um, Next Tuesday, 1 p.m. Eastern, we're having on John Archibald. Um, John, after graduating in applied photography course in 1988 from Sheridan College, John went to work at Templeton Photo Studio, uh, CBS's The Journal, and the Midway Free uh, Freelance Work in Toronto's film and television industry. Uh, three of his latest projects as property master, uh, he's worked on Schitt's Creek, Private Eyes, and Anne with an E have met with acclaim. Uh, John is currently in Innisfil, uh, but he will be on the show next week. So make sure you guys tune in and watch him Tuesday, 1 p.m. Uh, if you guys tune into the podcast, we really appreciate you guys tuning into the podcast. I hope you guys really enjoyed it. Um, if you could give us a rating, if you are on here, we'd love to hear your review and see how you liked the podcast in itself. Aside from that, I hope you guys enjoyed, and we'll see you on the next one. See you guys on the next one. Awesome. Later, Instagram. Amazing, amazing. <clears throat>